Did you remember like when you wanted to rent an N64, you had to put 200 bucks down? Remember that? And then you got it for like two days? That was highway robbery. Yeah. <laughs> Just robbing the people. $200 on a $300 system? Yeah. So you had to put 60%, 66% yeah. down? Just to play it. Just for two nights of NBA Jam? Yeah. <laughs> the Blockbuster model... Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. This show is intended for information purposes only, but we're not experts. We're just two guys within the Bitcoin community. Bitcoin is an experiment in the separation of money and state. You'll be surprised how many will support that. And adoption is the only thing that matters. Welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. I am your first host, Marcello. And I am D, your second host. And uh, this is a pretty cool episode. Uh, our third host is uh, on holiday. He's uh, sightseeing in Ireland. So it's just me and D holding it down for episode seven. Hold it down. And, uh, you know, since we started this podcast, uh, good things have been happening to Bitcoin. The price has gone up. Uh, the demand for Bitcoin in the last four weeks has been pretty tremendous. Uh, reports mm-hmm. of saying that it's risen by 400%. And uh, I, I think the news is because of Greece. I don't know. They became the first developed country to default on uh, the monetary fund. And as a result, they're turning the cryptocurrency. So this, I guess turning lemons to lemonade here, a bad thing happening, good results. Um, lemons to lemonade. I like that. Um, let's see here. Basically, the government is shit. Not, well, not the government, but theirs specifically. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Greece. And they need a way out. They need uh, a, way. a potential exit from the euro itself, right? Yeah, they could. I think they resolved it. I'm not too sure. Today being July 1st, uh, I, saw, I saw a headline saying they're going to resolve it. But at the end of the day, you got to ask yourself as a citizen of Legris. Legris? Is that right? I I haven't even read I haven't even read any articles where they say that it's going to be all right. So where'd you hear that from? I saw it on CNN this morning. Uh, but I was groggy. Always trust CNN. Yes, uh CNN means certified news network. Yeah. <laughs> well, I read that um, Athens' last-minute request for emergency uh, financial aid got shut down, and there's people on Indiegogo trying to crowdfund their way out of this, and it's not—it's not looking good. It's looking like a pile of garbage, <laughs> and they need a garbage man to come clean up. Some might even say they need Plan B. Yeah, Bitcoin. Yeah, the B is for Bitcoin, <laughs> definitely. Um, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to get speculative. I'm going to get prophetic here, like Nostradamus. I think that more and more countries are going to realize that their governments suck. And their governments are, are puppets. Um, they just do what the money tells them to do. And people are going to get tired of it. And they're going to use money that the government doesn't have control over. Well, the government's going to try to get control. And that's when things are going to get nasty for the government. So they might as well just play along. And find a way to govern. And let their citizens transact privately. And I think this is going to happen in Greece. Oh, it's already happening in Greece. And it's going to happen all over the Eurozone. Um... Because you can't print money to solve the problem of printing money. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. So, well, let's just use Greece as an example as, you know, since they're on the chopping block. If they use Bitcoin instead of Euro, would the outcome still be the same? No. Would, crypto con- would cryptocurrency solve all of Greece's financial woes right now? No. So it's it's bigger. It's bigger than what you said, the printed money. Yeah, they got a lot of problems. And 
their problems are parallel with our problems. Our problems are kind of the same here in the States. Uh, 18 trillion trill in debt. Can you imagine that? That'd be... Hold up, let's just count the zeros. That's one eight zero 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 zero. There's no crowdfunding to get out of that hole. I counted the zeros wrong. I feel bad. Being a math teacher, I feel wrong. I feel bad. But anyways, I shouldn't have done that. Ooh. Well as Can I get can I get a second try? Go for it. Alright. One eight zero 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 zero, zero zero zero, yeah. zero zero zero. Yeah. Got it. It's kind of like when we tell our guests to explain Bitcoin and they go over ten words. That's how many zeros you have to keep track. I'm pretty sure I did it wrong yeah. again. <laughs> well, can I? Can I get it? Can I disagree with you on that point? Yeah, go for it. I think it would help. I think because the government would have to balance taxation and the spending if Bitcoin was there instead of the euro. And it probably would have happened a lot sooner if more people converted. I'm Googling how many zeros in one trillion. So give me a second here. I'm really okay. upset about that. <laughs> um, I agree with you. I heard what you said. Um, I'm going to get back to the 18 trillion after the interview, but... Um, it will help things, especially because it's a deflationary currency and it's predictable. You know how much money is coming into the economy. Every 10 minutes, new Bitcoins are born and they come out shiny and crying and ready to make people happy, just like babies. New Bitcoin, new baby Bitcoins every 10 minutes. And so if you're a government, that makes governing really easy. You know the money flow. You know how much money's coming in. And for them not to see that, I don't know. It seems like maybe they're a a bunch of like just hooligans, just like yelling at each other in whatever official building that their politicians meet in. But to me, if I'm making decisions, especially decisions that are on a uh, that are based on time, and especially trying to predict what's going to happen, I'd like to know the money influx. Mm-hmm. Instead of just like, oh shit, we're in problems. Print more money. Hit the print button. Copy, paste, print all day, every day. Ah, oh, no more problems. Wait, we still got problems? Like, that's what they're doing over and over again. I feel like I sounded like Aziz or something. Yeah. <laughs> Aziz, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So, is that, that's the, I guess for people that don't know about the Greece situation, that's basically the problem. Let's let's reiterate the problem. Let's let them know one more time. Too much money, or not enough money, and now they're defaulting on their funds, and now they're trying to play catch up. Kind of like a, a 2015 bailout. Yeah, pretty much exactly what's going. They're asking for a bailout. That's what they're doing, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the IMF, I believe, mm-hmm. International Monetary. I'm making that up. So call me out if you want to. The IMF was like, um, we're not going to bail you out, bro. You spend too much money. We eating. You're not. That's pretty much what happened. Uh, and by the way, Marcello, 12 zeros. I was correct. There you go. <laughs> okay. you're, you're taking care of two problems simultaneously. I like yes. it. It's multitasking at its uh, worst. <laughs> So we, we've identified the problem. We are advocates for Bitcoin, so we're introducing that as a solution. But the other side of it is a lot of people claim that the run-up in the Bitcoin price has nothing to do with Greece, and that's super wrong. Um, it doesn't. It does. It's not the people of Greece, because guess what? They can't touch their money. So it's definitely not the people of Greece, I don't think, even though I've seen some articles that, you know, uh, quote that the influx of uh, Greece exchanges is going up. Um, hopefully, I worded that correctly. Um, but I think it's the whole eurozone is finally um, getting with it. Like, hey, maybe my country isn't so good at handling money. Maybe I need to protect myself. No, I mean we don't even have to talk about euros. We we could just talk about banks in general. Bank deposits are banks' money. It's not your money. 
you have a claim on your deposit, which which the bank has to pay when it's presented. But that's very true. But they have their own money in the bank. You know, you just have an IOU. You know, when I get direct deposit money, it's just numbers on my statements. The bank is free to loan out my deposit and do whatever else they want with it. And, and they this, make money. And they make money off it. And this goes for Greece. This goes for America. So, yeah, um, they make money and they give you nothing. I remember, uh, I got. Uh, yeah, I don't want to say numbers, but I do have a savings and the interest I got on it last year. Guess how much money I got back from my savings account? Pennies on the dollar. A whopping. I can't even remember. It was you were right though. It was pennies yeah. on the dollar. <laughs> You're right. Um. Yeah, I mean banks in general need a new business model. Mm-hmm. And they need to look at history. They need to, we need to send them a an infographic on the history of people that did not adapt. First, it's uh, Kodak. And Kodak was like, people are going to be using film forever. We're in the clear here, guys. High fives. <laughs> yeah. And then Nokia was like, hey, why, can, why don't we just put a camera on a phone? Let's do that. And then what do you know? Yeah. Kodak's like, wait. So people aren't buying film anymore? So we high-fived for no reason? Damn it. And then fast forward uh, 40 years. That's just a guess. Um, Blockbuster. Blockbuster's like, what? Nobody is ever going to want to watch a movie from the internet. What is this Netflix? This is some dumb shit. My kids won't even understand the concept of Blockbuster. Nope. That's a Blockbuster card I kept. No, that's like that story. Like I used to walk twenty feet in the snow to go to school, and your your kids are like, "What?" <laughs> we used to have to go all the way to the video uh, store. Did you remember, like, when you wanted to rent an N sixty four, you had to put two hundred bucks down? Remember that? And then you got it for like two days. That was highway robbery. Yeah. <laughs> Just robbing the people. Two hundred dollars on a three hundred dollar system. Yeah. So you had to put sixty percent, sixty six percent down. Just to play it. Just for two nights of NBA Jam. Yeah. <laughs> now, the Blockbuster model, was it had a pretty long run. Cameras had an even longer run. Banks have had the longest run, and it's definitely going to change. Yeah, but look at the length of how shortly their runs go away. It took, what? It took, uh, no, that's not really changing. Camera phones got rid of film pretty quickly. Well, uh, some some purists will argue that if you have a dark room and uh, you know an eight hundred dollar or up to four thousand dollar SLR camera, that you're you're never going to match the quality of the old fashioned way, like vinyl records or whatever. But yeah, you're essentially right on a mainstream level. Uh, camera phones killed film. But can I Photoshop a dark room photo? Wouldn't I have to scan it into digital anyway? Yeah. So. F those guys. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> F all photographers that listen to our podcast. That's yes. Smart. If you have a dark room, you suck. <laughs> well, this I mean, this is good because I feel like a lot of the Bitcoin purists, they never took economics 101. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm faking it. You're smart enough to have a grasp <laughs> on it. I took economics 101, but that was a long time ago. What I do know is everything is based on supply and demand. And right now, the demand for Bitcoin is up. The supply is constant. It's a constant. I'm going to drop an F-bomb here, audience. Are you ready? It's a constant fucking supply. Oh. Well, no, no. I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm going to rewind that. You're, you're, it's an easily predictable fucking supply. There we go. Nice. Um... So if the demand goes up, the price goes up. I mean, that's it's it's like in front of people's faces. I don't know, but there are some things to fix. Should we talk about that later? The debate that's been going on for like two months now. I'm honestly tired hearing about it. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk about that after we uh, get our our guest in here. All right, let's bring him in. Because I feel like his uh, his invention could solve a lot of the problems that, that's going on in the world right now. And, Very true. and uh, you know, usually when you say that our next guest 
needs no introduction. It's kind of cliche, but this might in this space that might actually be accurate. Yep. So uh, so Corey's on holiday in Ireland. I had a scheduling conflict, so Dimitrik acted as the proverbial David to the Bitcoin Goliath and uh, interviewed Mr. Eric Voorhees solo in a very engaging, yes. very awesome, informative Q and A. In the end of that story, though, David assaults Goliath, and I did not do that. It was a very friendly oh. interview. <laughs> well, I'm just saying you conquered you conquered the interview. You, oh, okay, I got that. I there got you go. Um, just because he he owns more yachts than you doesn't mean that <laughs> it has to be intimidating. So if you don't know who Eric is, he's uh, he's uh, probably one of the most earliest Bitcoin adoptees, and has just done massive things in that world: um, selling companies, acquiring, moving, shaking, creating, coding, coding, entrepreneuring. Yeah. So looks like he could be a boat sailor. I don't know. Maybe doing a little <laughs> bit of boat sailing. Who knows? Uh, uh, I think he just hopes that the the number of tra- transactions for Bitcoin will happen through his app. His app is Shapeshifter. Uh, so we're going to talk about all things Bitcoin. His app. Shapeshift. 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 Sorry. The blue fox. Hey, um, is it available on Google? Or is it just on iOS right now? I do believe it's on Google Play and uh, iStore. What is it? Apple Store. I know it's on Apple Store, but he said that Google was coming later. So you guys check that out, and we're equally as excited as you are, I'm sure. Wait, wait, wait. We've got to boast a little bit. Oh, yeah? So last week, who did we have on the show? Whale Speak. Whale Club. Oh, crap. The week before Whale. Pooey. And the week before Pooey? We had Sarah... Oh, I know who we had. We had the three awesome guys at Lawnmower. So this is the third head honcho of a company that we've had, right? It's starting to become a trend, yeah. I know. We get, we swing for the big cats. Yeah, and then I guess the, the three main attributes of all three is security. Because I think Voorhees, he created Shapeshift for its convenience. But I think he wanted security to be the priority. And I know we talked about that with Pui. Uh, the privacy versus security argument, but there seems to be just a common concern with these top dogs, security, security, security. And privacy. Privacy is a big deal with Mr. Voorhees, but you guys will hear all about it in this cool interview coming up right now. So with us today is Eric Voorhees, free thinker, entrepreneur, game changer, obviously great coder. Um, he is the CEO of Shapeshift, a great new app adding ultimate liquidity to the crypto market, uh, and economy in general. And, um, so that's my introduction for you, Eric. Is there anything that I missed? Um, I, I think that's the basics. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So a question we like to always ask our guests um, every single time is, uh, how was Bitcoin introduced to you and how quickly did you accept it as something to put time and effort into understanding? Uh, so Bitcoin was introduced to me in a Facebook post from a friend in 2011, in uh, May, May of 2011. And it took me about two hours of reading before I fell head over heels in love with it. Uh, at first, I thought it was pretty stupid looking, and you know, I was, I was like, "What is this? What is this digital, digital money garbage? What is this all about?" Um, but after about two hours of learning exactly how it worked and why it was innovative, uh, I, I just completely fell down the rabbit hole. That's that's usually what works for everyone. I remember I literally called it digital monopoly money and almost hung up the phone on my friend. So. <laughs> Uh, it took yeah. me a little bit of convincing and, and reading on my own part to uh, finally figure it out and realize how amazing it was. So, yeah, well, it's it's hard, I think, for a lot of people to realize that that money can be something separate from what they're used to, which is just government money, because mm-hmm. people have grown up with government money their whole lives, and and most people seem to think that money only can come from government. Uh, so when they see something claiming to be money that is not a, a product of the government. They they have this initial um, 
initial reaction that is very negative, and I think it takes a certain amount of a certain amount of open-mindedness to realize that just because something doesn't exist currently doesn't mean that it can't exist or that it shouldn't exist or that it would be better than what we currently have. Absolutely. And you kind of took me, sorry, took me directly to my next question. Um, And there's one thing that I found about all of your um, speeches and all of the talks that you do at your conferences is that you have some very intriguing uh, libertarian ideals and beliefs, it seems. And so would you mind elaborating just for our audience, why do you feel so very important to have that separation of money and state? Yeah, uh, so I think that most people, regardless of their political beliefs, um, agree that the development in society that happened hundreds of years ago were, were basically the concept of, of church and religion was separated from the state, where essentially religion became something that was a, a personal matter uh, up to the individual, um, not something that should be chosen or imposed or enforced by um, one's government. Most people, I think, seem to think that that is uh, a good development, and they sort of take it for granted that that's how things should be, and yet they don't apply that same logic in the realm of lots of other areas of life, uh, in this case, uh, in the realm of money. So um, my, you know, I, I think money should be separated from state for the same exact reason the church should be separated from state. It's a, it's a personal matter. It's not really anyone else's business what you do with your own money. And uh, by having it under the control and management of a central authority, you get all sorts of terrible societal ills that can be resolved if you simply remove it from that kind of control structure. Absolutely. And, and plus, I think it should be better practice for people on a whole to start practicing more responsibility over, you know, their money uh, and, and stop just putting it in the hands of everyone else, you know, in, in my opinion, my own personal opinion. But Well, yeah, um, pe- people in general should become much more financially literate. Definitely. And I think one of the one of the tragedies when you have something as important by money run by a, a monopoly institution like the, the uh, federal government, the central bank, is that people sort of divest themselves of responsibility. Um, Absolutely. They think that you know, money is managed by this higher power, and thus they don't need to think critically about it. They don't need to study how it works. And yet people spend their whole lives working to obtain it without really giving it critical thought, which is, I think, really unfortunate. Yes, supremely unfortunate. It's something that I've been trying to change uh, in my little local circle where I might have a a little bit of influence, but to no avail. Now I had to start a podcast. So <laughs> um, well, that's always the first, the first rung on the path to greatness. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it's, it's gone well so far, but so you're one of the most notable, um, early adopters of Bitcoin. Um, you, I think Roger Ver, uh, Silbert and, uh, Andreas, of course, but you're really notable and there's a huge controversy right now. Um, that block size controversy, and do you see it as a net positive or a net negative? Well, do you mean that that it is controversial? Well, yeah, that it is controversial because it seems like uh, Bitcoin in of itself is a living controversy. And yep, um, <laughs> that's a really good way to put it. <laughs> it's just every single day it seems like so much controversy. But this controversy has potential to to harm. Uh, the public's view of its functionality, which is it's really its main selling point, its functionality. So, I guess. Um, well, I I generally I, I think it's first of all I think it's really good that it's being debated. Yes. Um, it's certainly an important issue. It's something that's structurally fundamental to how Bitcoin works, and it's tension in a lot of debate from smart people. So I'm glad that that's happening. Um, I don't think the debate is harming Bitcoin's reputation in the broader world, frankly, because I don't think the broader world pays enough attention to the, you know, the ongoing controversies within the Bitcoin community to, to care. Um, you know, us who are involved in the community see it every day on Reddit, but the the average the average person, even if they have an understanding of Bitcoin, they're not following this stuff. So I think the um, it's good that there's that there's debate, and basically it'll be it'll be figured out 
Uh, and you know, however, I think any of the solutions can work. It's, it's just a question of you know which, which might be the most ideal. But I think there's rational arguments on all sides, and I don't think any of the arguments, I don't think any of the options are Bitcoin killers. They just might change how it develops. Definitely, definitely. I find myself flip flopping like once a week. I'm saying, keep it the same. It's not broken. Don't fix it. And then I'll hear an amazing argument. It's like, eh, maybe raise it a little bit. I don't know. So <laughs> I don't know. I'm yeah. Well, about. and <laughs> when 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 everyone talks about an issue back and forth, um, and both sides seem like they have reasonable arguments, I think it's kind of reasonable to assume that perhaps both both sides work. Perhaps either option can can work. Uh, we don't have to assume that one will make Bitcoin succeed and the other will make it fail. They just, they both might continue Bitcoin just in, in different ways. And that's okay too. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I, at this point, I just want, you know, to go one way or the other and let's ride it out. But yep. um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to switch it just a little bit talking about recently uh, this bit license. It's, it's, it's uh, definitely in full swing. And I know you're not a fan I'm not too big of a fan, but a lot of people think it's a good thing for Bitcoin, and you're an outspoken advocate against overregulation. And so, do you see the bit license as the top of the slippery slope that ends with Bitcoin kind of being strangled and stuck in like a you know stagnation? Well, Bitcoin, because it is so economically useful, because it makes the movement and storage of value uh, so cheap. Um, I, I don't think it can be stopped. It's, it's a technology that is too valuable for it to just be uh, for it to be stopped. But how it develops and the timeline that it takes uh, is is up for is up for debate and, and will change based on the environment around it. And part of that environment, of course, is how the regulations in various jurisdictions are written. Um, and I'm not naive in thinking that governments aren't going to try to regulate it because governments are are not nothing if not you know. <laughs> incessant regulators, that's what they live for. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, I think there's a certain, there's a, it's an important debate to have over what kind of regulation uh, should be thoroughly resisted. And I think in this case with the bit license, uh, there are a number of provisions of it that I think fall into that thoroughly resist category. Primarily, what we at ShapeShift have a problem with is that the bit license requires companies such as ours to extract personal private information from our users. Um, we don't currently do that. We don't currently take personal private information from our users because we don't need to in order to do the business that they come to us to do. Um, typically, when you do transactions online, because of how the payment network and credit cards and banks work, you're already giving up personal private information. Mm-hmm. So people are used to that. Um, and because people are so used to that and because personal information is sent out all over the place every time you're making transactions, it gets hacked all the time. And you have um, you have this identity theft problem, which is amazingly a bigger form of theft in terms of value lost to society mm-hmm. than, than all other forms of property theft combined, including like car theft and home burglary and all that. So there's this huge problem with identity theft. Um, and finally, Bitcoin technology solves it because it allows people to engage with each other economically without providing personal private information that can get stolen. So this is a wonderful achievement of society. And uh, these regulators are so blind to it that they try to regulate Bitcoin just as if it was the prior financial system and and shackling all the same restrictions upon it and all the same requirements. So what that means is that it it endangers people unnecessarily. Shapeshift is built in a way that prevents a lot of danger that would otherwise have to happen. And the regulations force us back into causing that harm. So we refuse to do it. So that means we have to shut off service to New York. Absolutely. And um, I I appreciate what you did. It shows um, that um, you don't want to put your customers at risk. And, and that's a great stance to take. And it's weird how the, the entrenched incumbent financial services have like Pavlonian trained uh, trained everyone to just give up all of this information and all of this this privacy. Yeah, and um, it wasn't until Bitcoin came around for me 
then I even changed my practices, you know. Now when I go, you know, even at my gym, I started a local gym membership and I was filling out the application and I was like, well, uh, why do you need more than just my name really? Like, <laughs> yeah. Can't you, just get, can't you just get my name and then if I, you know, if I stop paying, just stop letting me come in? Like, why can't we just do yeah. that? <laughs> but, um, yeah. it, 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 Bitcoin opened my eyes to the, uh, the delicate dance between privacy and security and um, uh, security always is going to, to win that. So, yeah, uh, and you know, really, before Bitcoin came out, there it, it, it couldn't really be debated because there was no way to transact across distance without personal information. You could do cash, you know, for in-person transactions, and that's private. But to do anything online or at distance or any you know sort of real business, you have to use payment systems that require personal information, and they they require that personal information because that's how they verify that payments are valid and that you're not. Um, you know, committing payment fraud or something and stealing other people's money. And that was the state of the art until Bitcoin came around. So now that we have a way to pay each other um, with privacy at distance, uh, we solved this huge problem. And the, the regulators are, for whatever reason, blind to that. Yeah, it's immensely blind. Um, but like you said, it's it's really no stopping Bitcoin and it's just something new that people have to just educate themselves in, in, in what it really is. So, but yeah. on another note, uh, did the due diligence on our part over here. And we, uh, noticed that shapeshift is one, it's an amazing app. I used it and I think I sent you a tweet on Twitter and the last week or a couple of weeks ago when Litecoin had that big jump, I got lucky and I was like, oh, I'll just take some Bitcoin and make it Litecoin. And it, it happened in less than 10 seconds. Amazing app. Um, yeah. What, uh, what What was cool is I noticed the API is groundbreaking for the economy, the crypto economy on a macro scale. So would you like to tell our audience uh, what that API is capable of a little bit and, and why it's so groundbreaking? Because obviously it is. I mean, but Sure. Um so yeah, we'll just we'll start with the basics. So Shapeshift is a service to exchange digital currencies. So uh, we have something like 38 leading digital currencies, including Bitcoin, on the site. And whichever of those you have, you can swap it out for whichever other one that you want. Um, so it's basically like a frictionless way to just convert one asset into another. And um, so you know, most customers use the, the website. And they just go and visit, and there's no sign up or anything. You just—it's kind of like a vending machine. You just walk up and use it, and then you're done. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we really built it to be an API service, which means a service that other websites and machines and computer systems can plug into to carry out the the function of exchanging digital assets. So this API is quite quite simple, but quite powerful. It's sort of like sort of like the Google Translate for cryptocurrencies. Um, just a very simple tool that is, is quite powerful and easy to use. So the API uh, can allow other companies to do all sorts of interesting things. So, for example, uh, there's a, an Android wallet called Coinomi, and they allow you to have multiple cryptocurrencies in your wallet. So it's not just Bitcoin, but it's you know about a dozen others. And they've plugged into our API so that in the app, you know, in your hand, with you can have Bitcoin in your hand on your app and convert it in the app to any other coin that's supported in there. Um, all without taking time to sign up for something, all without giving personal and private information away, just making it purely as frictionless as possible to, to convert one of these crazy crypto assets into another. Amazing. It It is amazing. It gets the job done so well. And um, it's it's really groundbreaking. I hope that more and more uh, businesses will use it, more and more people will build with it um, because it just introduces, it's like a soft introduction to, introduction, not introduction, <laughs> a soft introduction to, to more cryptocurrencies. And and yeah. that's that's what I like about it. And it yeah, those and it, cryptocurrencies. to, to sort of visualize it, imagine, you know, imagine, you know, everyone has a, a wallet with some cash in it. And when you travel, you have to, go find a place to convert it and um, it can be this big hassle. Imagine if you could just snap your fingers and the dollars in your wallet turned immediately into euros or yen. Just 
by snapping your fingers. That would be an amazingly useful mm-hmm. uh, technology. Um, and it can't exist with fiat just because of how banks work, but it can exist with cryptocurrencies. So that's Definitely. what ShapeShift was built to do. Definitely, and uh, that's a great analogy. And we need things like that. It's the 21st century. So <laughs> I think the banks try to act like it's not the 21st century sometimes. But um, Well, they they are very slow to innovate. And I think with, with cryptocurrency and blockchain technology, the next 10 years, banks are going to be in a, a big race to to move into this century. I some of them will do it really well, and some of them are going to get left behind. Yep. That, but that's uh, the nature of the beast, I guess. So, um, well, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I do ask one more question to all of uh, our guests, and it is: in ten words or less, could you describe Bitcoin? Yeah, Bitcoin is a currency and a payment system. Period. Awesome. Six six words. That sounds like it came straight from the white paper. That comes straight from the white paper, almost. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's pretty much the simplest distillation of what it is, so it, it should probably be in the white paper. Absolutely. Well, Eric, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for injecting uh, Bitcoin with uh, a little bit more liquidity when it comes to the other crypto coins out there. And uh, it's been very pleasant speaking with you. And, uh, yeah, good thank luck you so much. Everything. Oh, yeah, congratulations on the investment. I saw that. A while back. Thanks a lot. All right, have a great day. All right, you too. See ya. All right, that was a pretty dope. No, I'm not going to say dope. <laughs> <laughs> I know you hate it when I say dope on the internet. Okay. All right, guys, that was a Mr. Eric Voorhees uh, solo interview by Mr. Dimitrik. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And now we're going to transition to the great block size debate. Debate, bait, bait, bait. Which has become one of Bitcoin's most important political issues. It's that serious. It's turning into a big deal. I think some view it as nothing more than just a technological upgrade. But like you say, it's it's a big deal. The reality is the the, the cause of it is, uh, I think it's got quite the potential because people want it to be a bigger size. Yeah. Well, for me, I think... I'm going to insult some people here, but I think if you think it should stay at one megabyte, you are not an intelligent person. You are a dumb person. Well, they just think scalability isn't an issue. That's all. Scalability is an issue. It's like, it's like this, right? Imagine if Windows 95 was still being used and they never did any upgrades and never did anything. Now, there's probably like a thousand super geeks out there that are like windows 95 was so pure it was the best operating system of all time but the rest of the world moved on and it scaled up and now it's on windows 10 because bill gates can't count but (laughs) um there's so many examples of needing to scale and that's what happens when you get demand on any system you've got to scale it up and I don't see what the problem is. Like, I definitely don't want to be using Windows 95 right now. I like the Windows that I'm using. It's fine. Yeah. I don't want to use... Uh, that's why I'm not playing at NES anymore. Like, if things get better and there's more demand, they need to get better and appease the demand. And this needs to be fixed and it needs to be raised. I don't know how much I'm not that smart when it comes to does a limit even need to exist. Yes, it does. It does need to exist. I believe it creates competition within the fees. So then a little micro economy can exist in the fee structure of paying the miners. And if you have unlimited block size and you can fit unlimited transactions in then what's the point of having a chain? You're just going to have one giant block that comes next and that's it. So you've got to, you've got to have a block size. It creates the competition between the miners pretty much. And that competition is a beautiful thing. And that competition needs more area now. And yeah, I'm going to speculate, but I want to know what you being someone who's like, you know, you don't really care about the technical mumbo jumbo. 
you care about the currency and what it means for people. What's your initial, just with your gut instinct, block size up or keep it where it is? I would like to keep it where it is because I'm stuck choosing between stability and decentralization. That's where I'm at right now. I don't know enough about it to see the pros and cons of an unlimited cap on it. Fair enough. I don't understand the implications of raising the blockchain to an amount like 20. All the analysts say 20. That's where it needs to be, 20 megabytes, 20 megabytes. But, I, but you you want it to grow, but you you don't want the regulators to regulate it, if that's what I'm hearing. Um, regulators can regulate what they can. Uh, they can't really do much to Bitcoin. It's an algorithm. But um, it needs to go up. In my opinion, well, first I want to talk about the decentralization. You you pointed that out. And one, Bitcoin is nowhere near as decentralized as it was when it very first started, I don't think. And it's going to get more and more centralized. But I think the centralization that's going to happen is still going to have enough decentralized nature that it can be trusted. I think that... This is what's gonna. This is the the problem, right? If you raise the block size, then you need more bandwidth and more storage, bigger hard drives, bigger cables, right? Mm-hmm. You and me, we can't afford that. But you know who can? Our local grocer can, who makes like friggin' fifteen, sixteen billion a year, and all these companies with smart people in their companies now have an opportunity to compete in mine. Because they can afford the bandwidth. They can afford the storage. You know, so why not? I think it's going to create another level of competition. And I think we might not see it come, but it may do more decentralization. Because you're going to have big companies from around the world all competing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be even more decentralized because as more companies figure out how the mining works and figure out the technology and everything, then why wouldn't, like, Microsoft say, hey, we've got a huge server farm that, you know, why don't we just build another one and have it mine Bitcoin? And hey, every, I don't know, twice a month, we find a block and we get a bunch of monies. And by the time this has happened, hopefully Bitcoin will be worth a lot. So when they find a block, you know. Yeah. I think I think the good thing about this is that we have opposing views, but we but we, yeah, because yeah, I, I think the current block side will lead to more centralization, and you think increasing it, and uh, no, 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 you think it'll it'll be more decentralized if they keep the blocks small, right? Well, the current size is small, is it not? Yeah, it's one megabyte. I think it should stick there, and I think people like Coinbase are getting behind it too, and um, I think they would benefit more from a block size that doesn't change due to their, their position as the central banking institution of bitcoin Ooh, sounds so bad yeah (laughs) we hate the banks but try out this bank i mean you gotta have (laughs) you gotta have a central what do you call like a nucleus every everything needs a nucleus uh that's a good point and with bitcoin being decentralized you have a bunch of nuclei there you go yeah. Oh, hell yeah. We went mathematical and now we're getting scientific. Yeah, a little biology in here. Yeah. Um, well, look, the interesting thing about Coinbase, and that's the reason why I brought them up, is because uh, they already do many of their transactions off the blockchain. And whenever a, yeah. whenever a user is transacting with another user, they uh, the company can simply change their own internal record. They don't have to broadcast anything on the blockchain. But they do, eventually, or people will stop trusting them. Yeah, trust is a big thing. People will stop trusting Coinbase if they don't anchor into that blockchain. Yeah. They have to. And I think that's, I mean, there's so many awesome things about Bitcoin. But that's, I think it's literally going to be a phrase one day where you send somebody money and they're like, hey, man, I didn't see it on the chain. And you're like, oh, crap. Well, let me go check. Oh, 
you know, it's not confirmed yet. Or some sort of phrase involving, like, is it on the chain? Is it off the chain? Something chain. Is it off the chain? Off the chain. <laughs> Rappers were so far ahead of their time in the 90s. Yo, that transaction was off the chain. Blockchain. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, this is good. I think we shed some light on the level of difficulty involved with coming to a consensus on fundamental changes to the protocol. Um, the last topic is separating money from the state go for it we got like five minutes go for it okay really quick why should money be separate from the state well in my opinion that should happen because it will make our governments govern again they're getting away with too many things because they literally have the power of the money which basically that's what governments are for you put these people in power to make decisions for you involving money. I don't really want to pave the streets over there. So I have people in power to make the right decisions, to spend the right amount of money to pave the streets down the block. And the fact that they have such a grip on the money means that they can do whatever the heck they want. No, I'm going to actually curse. They can do whatever the hell they want. And it's beginning to be that way. And they distract us with all these social inconsistencies that we don't even realize that they can literally do whatever they want. The banks are in the pockets of our government. So if you separate that and you start having people understand that they can spend whatever they want, they can transact however they want, then it gets fun. And then what happens? Sorry, enough people start using Bitcoin that if they do try and do some ridiculously draconian, like, hey, Bitcoin is illegal and hundreds of thousands of people are using it. Do you think those hundreds of thousands of people are going to take that in stride? No, they're going to be like, hey, government, uh, F you. We're doing just fine. We're transacting. There's commerce. We're paying our taxes. In Bitcoin, hopefully. But you have no reason to be that draconian with it. You don't have to stop us from being happy. And that's what would happen if Bitcoin became a big thing and the government got, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Threatened. Mm-hmm. And so, does Voorhees share your views on that? He does. I share a lot of the same views with Voorhees when it comes like, I want my church separate from my government. And I want my money separate from my government. Okay? Yeah, me too. What else can be separate from the government? Religion. Old well, church. We said, yeah, we said church. Yeah. yeah. What else? Let's start and brainstorm. Let's start a friggin' revolution. What needs to be else? What else needs to be separate from government? Education. Separate from state. No. <laughs> That's, a <deal. laughs> That's a bad one. Uh... Oh, but speaking of education, we have an educator on the next episode. Very true. Yeah. And you're an educator. So prepare to get educated. I like being educated. You can't be an educator without being willing to be educated. That's a fact. Yeah. Well, what is the adage? Those who can't learn, teach. Is that incorrect? That is very wrong. That's so wrong. It's um those who can't do teach. Um, but I've changed that. It's those who can't do coach. <laughs> we just lost all our coach listeners. We don't have <laughs> we have zero coaches. Zero zero coaches. All right. Uh pretty informative podcast this week. Uh it, this airs a couple days after we record it, so the developments in Greece uh, you know, might change. From the topics that we talk about, but hopefully it pans out and they rebound, or maybe not. Who knows? And then Voorhees founded the uh, instant crypto exchange platform, which will help everybody in the future. Yup, that I do know about. And uh, you know, you can exchange Bitcoin and thirty-four other currencies. I didn't even know there was thirty-four other currencies, but yeah, there's a lot. So hundreds, but only thirty-four count. Doge, we're looking at you. Doge. And of course, Litecoin, which is what is it, the silver to Bitcoin's gold. Yeah. A great analogy. I hope it pans out for Litecoin. Yeah. 
Pan, Solid. gold. I see what you did there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Corey's a research scientist, so his schedule is – we're all envious of his schedule. Hopefully he'll be back next week. Thank you for joining us this week. And uh, our – Dimitric has – unloaded new channels there's we are now on soundcloud yes we're on soundcloud and we have four hearts yeah <laughs> four hearts already so we're soundcloud youtube twitter at the btc podcast visit us at the bitcoinpodcast.com we're on itunes we're on stitcher we out you basically if you want to listen to us you can you have all the avenues we need to get on some like overseas websites too. Just like learn one <laughs> sentence of Japanese. Yeah, and then, let's, yeah. Let's not imitate their language and lose <laughs> listeners. But all right, sounds like a plan. All right, thank you guys. We'll be back next week. Mm-hmm.